This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. I, I don't know that I literally could be any more excited than I am right now to be here with you. For a multitude of reasons. One, I got an extra hour of sleep. Two, my wife made incredible coffee today. We're here. By the end of next service, it's going to be like the Micro Machine guy, just going crazy, talking fast. Three, I want to be the first person, because Halloween is over and daylight saving time has started, to wish you a Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. I know we still technically have Thanksgiving, but I'm still, and I tell you this every year, I'm still petitioning to move Thanksgiving to August sometime because there's not a whole lot going on in August. So do Thanksgiving in August, and after Halloween, we just do Christmas. Christmas all the time, two months of Christmas. I think we have 51 days right about there until that special day. So get ready, get shopping. I wear a large in plaid shirts and cardigans. In case you were wondering. I want you to pull this out. We're doing something today, and this is actually what's getting me really excited. We're starting something off today that we've done now, I think this is our second year, that we're calling Season of Giving. Around Christmas time, we start to think, okay, I want to bless my family, bless those around me, care for people who I love, but we also are thinking, how can I bless and care for others? And as a church staff and leadership team, we put together what we think are six really amazing options on ways we can love and care for and bless people throughout this holiday season. And we believe that as we love and care for and give and serve other people, it actually will enhance your Christmas. You'll experience more of what God meant Christmas to always be, which is an amazing celebration. And so uh, we give you this. We'll have more out in the lobby. There are six different options. You don't have to read them now because this is yours to keep. Take it home with you. Look over it talk with your family about some ways you might want to get involved. We're not asking you to do everything on here, but we're encouraging you to do something on here. One or two things with the family to reach out. And for the next six weeks on Sundays, most of you know we pray for a different church each week during the offering time. What we're going to do for the next six weeks is highlight one of these six areas that we can be involved in and then pray for that ministry. And so we'll be highlighting these as time goes on, but there's information in here. There's more information at the Activities Hub. Season of Giving is going to be great. And check out some of the things in here because some of them are coming up very quickly. I'll tell you more about that as we get a little later on in the morning. But I wanted to show that to you. You're going to want to do a few things. You're going to want to grab the card that says Start Here. That's your connection card that helps us connect with you, helps you connect with us. Most importantly, it helps us connect you to God. And that's why we're here. We want to help you connect with God. You're also going to want to grab the teaching notes in there as we continue our series that we're calling Beyond. And some of you have no idea who I am, and so I just want to introduce myself. My name is Kevin, and I work here at New Life, and uh, I'm just so lucky because a lot of people dread the first day of the week. My first day of the week is Sunday, and I get to spend it worshiping God, talking to you, drinking good coffee, and having a great time. So I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world. I really am. I love being here with you, and, and I'm trusting and hoping and have been praying that you would encounter God today, that you would meet him, and that somehow through something that you sing, or an interaction that you have, or something that I I say as I uh, crack God's words, we open it up, somehow you just, 
experience him in a deeper way. Learn to trust him more fully. Engage in him uh, in the way that he wants you to. And if it's your first time here, I want to give you an extra special welcome. God loves you. You may believe that. You may not believe that yet, but I want to tell you it's true. God loves you, and we love you. And by the way, we have a gift for you. So if it's your first time here, before you leave today, you're going to walk out these doors, and there's some kiosks in the center of our lobby. There are some guest gift bags, really good stuff in there. It's our way of just saying, hey, thanks. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for taking time to share the morning with us. Well, I want to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Lord, thank you for all the ways that you work, the things that we see and the things that we don't see. Thank you that you're here with us even now, uh, that your spirit is uh, very real in this place, and that uh, we can trust and know that if we seek after you, you will reveal yourself to us. So I pray for my friends today who are here, and they're just barely holding on, uh, that they would, would look for you and find you today, that you would be their comforter. Uh, I thank you for my friends who are here today who uh, just couldn't, couldn't be closer to you. They just, the, the relationship they have with you is so strong and so good. I pray that you would uh, take them into actually even deeper levels of intimacy with you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How, how many of you have ever had a day, and you're going to have to raise your hand, but don't worry because you got an extra hour of sleep, so your arms should be working. And by the way, um, because you got an extra hour of sleep, some of you will think my jokes are funnier. Some of you will think they are less funny. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. But please laugh, okay? It's okay. It's okay to laugh. Or stare at my wife. She loves it when I say awkward things and you stare at her. So feel free to find her and do that. Um, how many of you have had a day or a weekend or a week that was so good you just didn't want it to end? You ever had one of those? I hope, I hope everybody has. I hope you've had some day, maybe it was just a couple hours, that was just so wonderful, and the, the, the stars aligned, everything seemed to be going right, and you just didn't want it to end. I had a week like that when I was 17 years old. Uh, I was at this camp, and uh, it was fun. There, I was 17. There were um, a lot of other high schoolers, a lot of girls, so that was fun for a 17-year-old kid. There was a high dive and a zip line, and this camp was really, really great. And in the midst of it, somehow, in the midst of having all that fun and doing all these games and crazy stuff, I encountered God. And he revealed himself to me in a way that I had never experienced him before, and it changed the trajectory of my life. And I remember ending that week and getting on a bus, we were leaving Sacramento to go back down to Pasadena, where I grew up, and I was really sad because I didn't want that day to end. And, and I, I, I got quiet, and I was thinking back about what this encounter I had had with God would mean. How would it translate? What would my friends think? What would my family think? And I got really bummed out, and someone gave me a Bible verse. I have no idea who this girl was, but she was a few rows ahead of me, just wrote on a piece of paper a Bible verse, and she passed it back to me, never said a word. And I opened it up, and it had this reference from Romans chapter 8, and I had no idea what it said in Romans chapter 8, so I, I grabbed a Bible, I borrowed it from somebody, opened it up, and she read me a verse that has become a life verse for me. And when I say a life verse, what I mean is, uh, as my uh, understanding of who God is and our relationship, as it grew, this verse has grown with me. As I went through good times, this verse was a, a, a real joy. 
As I've gone through difficult times in my life, this verse has been a comfort, and it's been something that I've wrestled with. This verse speaks about the character of God, the nature of God, and the reality that we can trust God. And so I'm going to read you this verse, and then we're going to talk about this verse. We're in Romans chapter 8. That's been our launching point for the last three or four weeks, uh, trying to figure out what Paul is saying about living a life beyond our own capacity, beyond our own ability. Paul, the author of Romans, basically says, you can get this far on your own, but God wants to take you way over there. And you can't get there unless you have him here. And so he said you have to live with God's Spirit, walk in God's Spirit, and when you do that, you can overcome things like that, that uh, destructive pattern that you can't seem to fix on your own. You can do it with God when you walk in His Spirit, and we've been looking at that. You can have this intimate relationship with God when you walk in His Spirit, and we've been looking at that. And then partway through Romans chapter 8, he gives us this promise in verse 28. And, and here's what I want to say before we put the verse up on the screen There's a problem with this verse. The problem with this verse is that I'm about to read it, and many of us are going to hear it and discount it. We're going to hear it, and we're not going to believe it. And that's an issue, because this verse, like I said, talks about God's character, the nature of God. And if we don't believe that God at his core is what this verse says he is, then we're not going to be able to fully trust God. And if we can't fully trust God, then we won't surrender our lives to God. And if we don't surrender our lives to God, then we can't have God's Spirit working in us the way that Paul tells us to. So this is a hinge verse for this whole chapter and really all of the Bible. So I'm going to read it to you. I just want you to listen and do everything you can not to to discount. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know... That means we have experienced it. We see it. This is, is, is real in our lives. We know it to be true. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He's, he's making things good. He doesn't cause all things, but in all circumstances, in all things, he works for the good of those who love him. And when Paul talks about loving God, he's talking about that intimate, personal relationship. Not my spouse's relationship or my kid's relationship or my parents' relationship, but a, a personal relationship that I have with him. He works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, his plan, his desire for your life. For those that God foreknew, he predestined, he set up to be conformed into the image of his son. That's the end game. Part of this good somehow means that he's turning us into the image of Jesus the image of his son. We're becoming more like God through every circumstance so that we might be the, so that that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And most of us, if we were raised in a church background, when we were kids, started out believing this because things were pretty good for most of us, fairly easy for most of us. And we thought, yeah, God does work things out for good. God does do good things in our lives. But then we grew up. And pain happened, and difficulty happened, and tragedy happened, and we began to say, no, that's, that's not actually true about God. That's a bunch of baloney. It's a bunch of malarkey. You watch the debates, I like it. Don't forget to vote on Tuesday, people. See, the problem is, the minute I read it, 
some of you had a situation flash across your mind. And that situation leads you to think that God actually doesn't care. So I want to do something. If you have your notes, pull them out. I put something in our first note. It says true or false, and I want you to circle one of these. True or false. At some point in my life, at some point, maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 10 minutes ago, I felt like God was being inattentive or uncaring or weak when it came to working on my behalf. At some point in my life, I prayed about something, I asked him to do something, I asked him to work somewhere, and it seems like he was late or inattentive or uncaring or just not powerful enough to do it. If that's true, I want you to circle true, and if that's false, I want you to circle false. That's how true or false works. Have you written it down? All right, I want you to raise your hand if if that's true. At some point in your life, you felt that. And then just look around. Keep them up. Just look around. Because here's the danger. Okay, you can, you can put them down. Here's the danger. Is that when we come to a, a church and we hear a pastor talk about this, is that we sit there and think, well, I must be the only one who doesn't think that's true. Everyone else must have some sort of charmed life where God's just done everything and worked everything out. Where everyone's always praising God and it's always rainbows and unicorns, you know, and... and We think, I must be the only one who screwed up. So apparently God either doesn't love me or he just forgot about me. But I I want us to see that actually it's a common feeling. It's a common feeling that God just didn't show up at some point. And we got to unpack that a little bit because if we believe that at God's core, he doesn't actually show up. He doesn't actually work for the good of those who love him then we're going to do one of two things. One, we're just going to kind of fake it till we make it. We're going to come to church every week. We're going to put on a smile. We're going to say everything's great when everything's not. And in the end, we're just going to try to do life on our own. We're going to say, I believe in God to an extent, but I don't trust him because I don't think he's actually doing things on my behalf. And so I'm not going to surrender myself to him. I'm not going to give my life to him. And Paul says, if we don't do that, then we can't have God's spirit working in us and we can't experience transformation. We do life by ourselves. The other outcome is we just get out. And it breaks my heart when, when this happens. I see people who start coming to church and they, they come into relationship with Jesus and then tragedy strikes and, and we never see them again because they get out because they think God has failed them. God promised A, but they got B. God said he'd be there and then it seems like he's not there. And the outcome is the same as outcome one. They keep God at a distance. We try to do life on our own. We become frustrated We become bitter, bitter at God, bitter at the church. And God's great desire is that we would be drawn in today. And so I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm trusting that there's some healing today. That we can unpack what it looks like to have God work things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his plan. And I want to do it by looking at the life of a hero of the New Testament. This guy that we're going to look at is a guy that God loved deeply. Jesus talked about this guy that we're going to look at. And Jesus said this, Among men, there are people that have been born of a woman, which is all of us. We've all been born of a woman. There's no one greater than this guy up to this point. So Jesus loves this guy. Jesus cares about this guy. But this guy had trouble believing Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God works all things because this guy found himself in prison. And here's how the story starts out. It starts out before this guy was even born. 
Uh, there was a king called Herod the Great. He was the king of Israel, but he was not Jewish and he was not a nice man. He was actually pretty darn bad. He killed three of his wives. He killed one of his mothers-in-law. By the way, guys, that makes him bad. And we're going we're gonna to do a series actually coming up starting the weekend after Thanksgiving called Christmas Stories, where we're going to look at some of the big stories of Christmas and see how they play out in the stories of our lives. This is the Herod that we're going to learn about that killed a bunch of babies around the time Jesus was born. He's had babies slaughtered. Bad man. Bad man. Well, Herod the Great died, and Rome decided that Herod had had too much power, so they split his power up between two of his sons, Herod Archelaus, who took one part of his old rulership, and then Herod Antipas, who ruled around the area that Jesus was moving and working. So when you read about Herod, it's usually this second guy. And there was a third son named Herod Philip. And the thing to know about Herod Philip is his dad loved him, but he didn't get any power. He didn't rule anything. What he did have was a wife named Herodias. And Herodias was also not a very nice lady. One day, Antipas, the guy that rules the area that Jesus does ministry, Antipas goes to visit his brother Herod Philip. Philip's not around, but Herodias is around. And Antipas sees him and says, hey, you are, you are one attractive lady. What are you doing with my brother who doesn't have any power, any authority? Dump the chump, marry me. And that's what she does. She runs away with her brother's her husband's brother, at which point the background of the Bible starts chanting, Jerry, 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 because this is messed up. This is messed up. Philip comes home, his wife has divorced him and run off with his brother, and now they're ruling in a, in a neighboring area. Bad, bad news. And this is the scene where this guy John comes into the picture. John the Baptist and he's got a really famous cousin. His cousin is Jesus. Not a bad guy to be related to. John the Baptist loves God. I mean, loves God. From his birth, he was set out to be a prophet, which basically meant that he calls it how it is. Whether you like it or not, he's going to tell it straight. He's going to call it straight. He has served God his entire life. He didn't have those teenage years where he kind of wandered away from Jesus and tried it on his own and then came back in his 20s because he realized he couldn't do it on his own. He has always been for Jesus, always been for God, always loved God, and the people love him for it because he's calling it like it is. He's calling out truth. People come to him and start following him, and everything's going pretty good until he starts to call it like it is against Herod and Herodias, and he starts to preach against them and say they are evil. What they're doing is wrong. She should not have divorced her husband and married her husband's brother. This is bad. And Herod and Herodias do not like John, and Herodias hates John. She wants him dead. So they end up throwing him in prison. And prisons in those days were not nice. And usually the only way out of prison was in a body bag. And that's where the story picks up. Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison, and Jesus comes into the area where John the Baptist is. And so John's hearing about what Jesus is doing, and verse 2 of Matthew 11 says this, When John, who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, of Jesus. He heard about what Jesus was doing. He sent his disciples, his followers, 
to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And this question is huge for John because earlier on, John was baptizing people in this river and Jesus came on the scene and John called out to the whole crowd, that's him, that's the Messiah, that's the Savior of the world. He's the one that's going to come and take away the sins of man. And people believed in him and people followed him. And then he started sending the followers, said, go follow Jesus. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He sent his disciples and said, don't follow me. Follow Jesus. He's the one. He's the man. He's the Savior. Follow, follow him. But right now he's in prison, and he hears about Jesus healing lepers and raising people from the dead and healing the sick and feeding thousands of people. And he's stuck rotting in jail. And he has a faith crisis because his circumstances have changed. And isn't it true that when our circumstances change, it raises some big questions for us? We were perfectly content with God when everything was great, but then one day she just left and it raised all kinds of questions. Or my kids just left or I lost my job and Circumstances change, and it raises big questions. Can I trust God? Is God really good? Is God really caring? And so he sends his disciples because he's got this feeling that maybe you felt, maybe you haven't. What about me? Maybe you've sat in a life group before, and everyone's sharing their praises about how great their kids are, and uh, the guy next to you says, hey, I've got this great job that pays a ton of money, and they just offered me a promotion for no reason. And you've been out of work for nine months. And that guy only comes to church when his team's not playing football. And you come to church every week and you're like, this isn't fair. What about me? Why am I rotting in jail when everything good seems to be going on in, in their lives? And he sends his disciples and they go to Jesus and Jesus finishes teaching. And, and they say, hey, Jesus, can we talk to you for a second? We have a question. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And they say, well, let's, let's just let's go over here because it's kind of an awkward question, you know. Uh, I don't know how to say this. Uh, you know, John, your cousin, Jesus, yeah, I know my cousin. You know, the one who, who preached that you were the Messiah? Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's a great guy. Well, you know the one who actually baptized you? Yeah, John, I know him. Well, well I, I'm guessing you know this, but maybe you don't. He's in jail over there. Uh, and he has a question for you. He wants to know, are you really the Messiah? Or should we be looking for someone else? That'd be like me getting up here one day and saying, you know what? I don't know if I really believe in God anymore. For some of you, that would, that would rock you. This guy is a, a, a huge figure in the ancient world. If, if anyone's lived for God, lived with God, should believe that Jesus is the Messiah, it's, it's this guy. But he's having a hard time believing. And so he starts asking questions like, God, can you really work all things together for good? Because in my prison cell, it seems all bad. And so I want to talk about some reasons why we have a hard time trusting God. Because John had an easy time trusting God when everything was going well and he was baptizing people. And he had a hard time trusting God when he was in prison. And the first thing is because when times get tough, we forget about God's faithfulness in the past. Maria and I are going through an interesting housing situation right now. We rent a condo, 
The owner let it get foreclosed on. It got sold to a company who wants to flip it and resell it. So we got a call a few weeks ago saying, hey, you have to be out in a week, which we found out isn't true. Uh, So we went back to them and we negotiated. And actually, we decided with them that we got to stay for three months. But at the end of three months, we don't really know what the next plan is. And I can tell you, there have been times when we've woken up in the morning with fear. What's going to happen? Should we be packing boxes? Should we be packing our bags? Should we be trying to move? Hey, the church has some showers. Maybe we should stay there. (laughs) Here's why we freak out about it. Because we forget that we've always had a place to live. And it's come down to the wire a few times with us. This seems to be the way that God likes to to work in our lives. Like the week we have to be out, we still don't have a place to live. And then he provides, but he's always provided. But we forget. You ever had that? When things get tough, you just forget. Forget what he did back then. Another reason is when times get tough, our worlds shrink down. It's just human nature. When tragedy strikes, when pain hits, our worlds shrink. John's world shrank down to the size of his prison cell when he was thrown in jail. I remember three years ago, uh, this February, we had a miscarriage. And it was devastating. It, It really was. And I had to go to church three days after we found out about the miscarriage. And lucky for you, you didn't have a major crisis that day. Because I could barely take care of myself that day. And I wasn't really thinking about you. And I wish I was. If I was a little, you know, more holy, I don't know. Maybe I'd be thinking about you. But I came because I needed God that day. And I I hid up here in the front corner. And I worshiped God and I cried because my world had shrunk down. And when we go through tragedy, our world shrinks. And it's hard to see what God is doing because we can't see beyond ourselves. We can't see beyond the moment. We can't see beyond the difficulty. We can't see beyond the tragedy. And that promise of God working things out doesn't look very true when we can't see beyond ourselves. And the third reason is because our view of all good looks a lot different than the picture that God paints in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I think all good. I think easy, fun, enjoyable, But God paints a different picture of all good. Sometimes it is fun, and it is enjoyable. But sometimes God's good is us becoming like Jesus. Remember what verse 29 said. Verse 28 said, God works all things together for good. And then Romans verse 29 said that that all good means that we're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus. That we're going to be transformed into the image of Christ. Not that things will be easy. Not that he will fix the situation immediately. Simply that in that place, we have the opportunity to grow in Christ's likeness. So when you get cut off, is God really going to blow out their tire like you want him to? Probably not. Can you become more patient in that moment? Absolutely. When your coworker doesn't get their job done, Therefore, you have to stay late to get your job done and you miss your kid's soccer game. Could it be that the all good that God is trying to do is to give you patience? To give you um, a deeper level of compassion for someone who doesn't seem to have compassion towards you? See, sometimes the all good is simply that God wants to create in us a better 
character. How about this? When parenting gets tough and we pray, God, just make my kids be better or at least make them stop talking for a few minutes. Could it be that the all good is that God is trying to develop my character as a parent? That my toddler's not going to stop screaming all night no matter how much I pray. But that he wants to show me how to be generous on three hours of sleep and kind on three hours of sleep. God's all good is different. I love the way that Jesus responds to John. Verse 4 says, Jesus replied to these disciples, and he said, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Jesus doesn't get angry with John for his question, and sometimes we think that when we go through pain, God's going to get mad if we question him. God, what are you doing right now? God, this hurts. God doesn't get angry when we have genuine, honest questions. Jesus doesn't get angry at John, but notice what he doesn't do. He also doesn't say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I forgot, but don't worry. Tell John I'm coming at midnight to break him out. He doesn't say that. Here's what he does say. He says we need to remember God's faithfulness in the past. All the things that Jesus talks about, John had seen happen. He remembered those things. See, we forget we just do. That's why I love having a wedding ring. I love it because when times get tough in a marriage, it reminds me of the day that we got married, the commitment we made to stay together. I love remembrances. That's why I want to go back to that camp that I was talking to you about. I haven't been there in 14 years, but it's someday I want to go back because I met God at that camp, and I just want to sit there at that place. We need to remember God's faithfulness in the past. When you go through tragedy, when you go through difficult things, when you don't know what God's doing, when it seems like he's not making it all good, remember what he's done in the past. By the way, even if you can't see him doing something in your past, we just celebrated communion, which reminds us that he did something in all of our past. When we were still enemies of God, when we were still distant from God, he sent his only son to die on a cross and bring us hope bring us forgiveness, bring us back to himself. And if he would do that, then he can take your situation and he can do something good. So we need to remember God's faithfulness in the past, and then we need to see what God is doing outside of our lives. We need to combat that whole idea that if God's doing it in your life but not in my life, that means that God is against me. We need to remember that what God does sometimes is he encourages us by other people's stories. That's why baptism is so powerful. When I see people get baptized, it just reminds me that God is moving and God is working and God is transforming lives. At the night service uh, a couple weeks ago at the baptism service, it was the very end of the service. Almost everybody was done getting baptized that we thought of. They were about to finish the last worship song and this gal comes up to me, a young 20-something gal. She says, is it too late for me to get baptized? She started to tear up, and I started to tear up, and her life group leader came over, and, and they baptized her right there. And I saw God is working in her life. Remembering what God's doing outside combats that shrinking world perspective, convinced that, uh, fights that me perspective. And then the last one is we need to remember that sometimes God makes it all good on that side of eternity. He doesn't make it all good on this side of eternity. 
at least not the way we think he should. He'll always develop our character. He'll always give us an opportunity to grow close to him. And sometimes he'll do the miraculous and heal things. I said we had a, a miscarriage with our second child. But our first child, Maddie, they said we were having a miscarriage. And we didn't. And God healed her. And she's four years old. I taught her how to ride a bike without training wheels yesterday. And every day, yeah, I know. I'm pretty proud of myself. I mean, of her. I'm pretty proud of her too. Yeah. <laughs> pretty proud of her too. So he does do miracles, but we don't believe in him because we trust him for having to do a miracle in every situation. It would not be a miracle then. It would just be everyday life. And he promises on that side of eternity that he'll right every wrong, fix everything. On this side of eternity, he does sometimes, and it's incredible when he does, but he promises us to be with us even in the midst of pain. And here's why that bothers us, because we are an immediate gratification society, right? That's why we start workout plans in January 1st and end them January 9th, because we said, I ran for five minutes on the treadmill. I should have lost five pounds. That's why I had people come to me and say, Kevin, uh, I came to church for that marriage series, I was here on five Sundays. That's five and a half hours of church time. My marriage isn't better. Well, I spent five years wrecking it, but I came for five weeks to fix it. It doesn't work that way. We like immediate gratification, but God likes to work things out over the long haul. I want to close with this. Jesus gives two prophecies from the book of Isaiah when he responds to John. That whole thing, the blind see, lepers are healed, the lame are cleansed, the good news is preached to the poor. It's from two prophecies from the book of Isaiah. But he leaves one thing out of that prophecy. And here's what it is. The thing he leaves out is, the prisoner is released and the captive is set free. Now, if you're John the Baptist and you're sitting in prison and Jesus quotes a prophecy that goes all the way up to and the captive is released, and the prisoner is set free, aren't you kind of hoping he finishes it off there? But he doesn't. And I wonder if in that moment John got it. He said, oh, okay, God might not actually get me out of that jail this time. And he didn't. Actually, John was beheaded. He was killed. He died. His last days were in that jail while Jesus was out there doing miracles. Does that mean that God didn't love him? No. God loved him with an incredible love. Does that mean that God wasn't working all things together for good? No, God was working things together for good. Did it turn out how John was hoping it would? I don't think so. I don't know. I tend to be partial to my neck and head. And some of us are sitting here today, and we have to ask the question, we have to wrestle with the question, is God all good all the time? Does God work all things out for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his plan, or doesn't he? Because if we can't answer that question, we can't surrender to God. We can't have a relationship with God. We keep God at arm's length, and then we wonder why God isn't working in our lives. Well, it's because we've pushed him out. And God's saying, let me in. Let me in. I wonder what would happen if we began to look at our past and see the ways God had worked in our past and remember his faithfulness. I wonder what would happen if we began to, when times get tough, look outside to our church community and see the miracles God's doing in other people's lives. 
I wonder what would happen if we began to ask questions like, God, what is the good you're trying to work here? Because right now I don't see it. What are you trying to do in me through this situation? Because you promised that you want to do something, that you want to change me, that you want to grow me deeper to you. I think if we did that, our perspective would change. We wouldn't have to live in fear anymore that at some point the other shoe was going to drop. We wouldn't have to question God at every turn to make sure he was doing things the way we think he should do it. We would simply trust God, give ourselves to God, and trust that he will work it out. I want to close with this. Some of us have some pain. Some of you are still sitting here wrestling with that, and my prayer for you this morning when I woke up was that God would do some healing work in that area of pain. So the worship team's going to sing in just a few minutes, and as they sing that last song, and maybe you just need to stay in this room after the service is over, but maybe you need to do some work with God. Allow him to speak into that area. Ask him to show you what that good thing is that he's trying to do, even in the midst of your pain. I can tell you, we've all been there. But God is never too late. God is all-powerful, and God does love you with an incredible love, and he proved it when he died on the cross and rose again. And if that's our starting point, then we can trust him for the little things. We can trust him to work the other things out. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship where he is your Savior and he is your Lord, today's the day for you to do that. I want to invite you to make that decision. I'm going to pray in just a second. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you the space to, to, in your head or whisper out loud, just to say to God, God, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sins because the, the sins or the destructive patterns in my world are sinking me and I need your power to be forgiven and to live in the life you called me to. And then I want to have a relationship with you. And if you've never made that decision, you can make that decision right now. So join me and let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that we can trust, even when we don't know exactly how you're in control, we can trust that you are in control. Even when we don't know exactly how you're working things out, we know that you are working things out, and we're so thankful that we can trust that. Lord, we're thankful that our past experience and the experiences of those around us prove the fact that you do work things out for good all the time. So Lord, would you show us how you're doing that? Would you give us an attitude of gratitude that thanks you for the things you're doing, that trusts you in the uncertainty, and that surrenders to you fully? And as we continue to pray, if you've never entered into a first-time relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship where you would say, I'm walking with God, I know him, and I know that he knows me, you can pray this simple prayer. Right now, you can either whisper it out loud or you can repeat it in your head. It's a prayer of commitment to God. So if you sense God calling you to himself, and I want to tell you he is calling you because he loves you, you can repeat after me the simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross and rose again. And I believe that in ways that are right now maybe even too deep for me to understand, that that action brought about the forgiveness of my sins. And I accept that on faith. And I want to enter into a relationship with you. So would you come, Holy Spirit, 
Would you fill my life? Would you guide me and lead me? Forgive me of my sins. Would you show me how to walk with you in a way that you work all things together for good? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to give you some ways to put this into practice. So pull out those connect cards that we talked about earlier. Make sure you've got that filled out. Your name is fine if you're a regular part of New Life, and any extra information you would give us if you're new would be a great help. On the back, it says, I want to apply today's teaching by. The top one says, I'm going to do something this week to get to know God better. And if you would mark that card, I'm going to send you an email probably on Tuesday or Wednesday with some ways that you can draw close to God, that you can get to know him better, some exercises that you can do to really help you draw close to God and have that attitude of gratitude that God wants you to have. So if you want to do that, and if you'll actually take the time this week to do it, mark that on your card, I'll give you some information. If you, if you made a decision to give your life to Christ today, that is the best decision you could ever make. If you did that, the Bible says that you're part of God's family, you're part of this family. And as part of this family, you're not doing this alone. So if you made that decision, would you mark that on your card so we can give you some information about walking out this journey? Because you're in this with us, and we want to celebrate with you, and we want to help you. And if you're recommitting yourself to Jesus today, maybe for years he's just been a name in the corner, a figure that you mumbled some songs to every once in a while, but you haven't had an intimate relationship with him because maybe you haven't trusted him, because maybe something happened in your life that was too painful for you to really uh, love him and care for him but you know you need to come back to him. Mark down your cards so we can be praying for you and connecting with you as well. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.